0: Maybe seated this morning. Glad that you chose to worship. Who's ready for Thanksgiving meal? Are you guys hungry if we just talk about it? Alright, who doesn't like turkey? A few of you. Who prefers ham? Alright, very good. Most of you, that's alright. How many of you do something completely different on Thanksgiving? No turkey, no ham. Alright, see whose house I want to come over to, because I'm not really. No, I appreciate you being here. God is good. And all the time, thank you for being here. My name is John. If you are new, I would love to meet you. My wife Joy and I we will be uh, out in the foyer as soon as the service is over. And we would love to have an opportunity uh, to meet you today. I am looking forward to Thanksgiving and just spending some time with family and hanging out and eating, watching some football. Uh, but most importantly, thanking God for who he is. Are you thankful for Jesus today? Are you thankful for Jesus today? I knew you could do better, that's awesome, and uh, I am too. Today we are in Psalm 100, so if you wanna make your way to Psalm, whether that's on your iPad or tablet or phone, or maybe you actually have a printed Bible with you today, that's awesome too. I wanna say uh, thank you, as Sawyer already mentioned, for. Really, one of our core values at Hallmark is to be radically generous, to be outwardly focused and because of your generosity, I had the privilege to, to go to the Philippines and spend about 10 days, uh, really an area I had never been before, uh, really north of Manila, I think about 130 miles maybe north of Manila. Uh, that 130 miles takes about eight hours to drive, uh, but a great trip. I want to say thank you to Sean. I'm going to ask Sean to raise his hand over here. Everybody, look at him. Make him awkward. Sean Williford has been a member of our church. He teaches one of our adult connect groups, uh, and he took me on this trip. And and uh, several years ago, God really burdened him to start a Bible institute in this really remote area of the Philippine Islands. And uh, pretty interesting story as you're just going to see a few pictures of the area we were at. And then of course, some pictures of us teaching, but pretty interesting story in the late sixties, there was a family that through white Wycliffe Bible translator really was just dropped into a village that they knew nothing about. They didn't have a written language. Uh, These, this family with three young boys, learned the language and then spent the next 40 years translating the Bible into two different dialects there in the Philippine islands, the area in which we were at these people, these students, some are pastors, some are church leaders. uh, these people have only had the Bible in their language for about 12 years. Pretty amazing. What I was challenged by is this. And and so I hope that as I was challenged, I want to encourage and challenge you today. What they uh, had that oftentimes I do not have is just a passion and a hunger to know the Word of God. Because they had not had access to it, it created a hunger and a thirst to know God and to know the Word of God. And I think uh, the reality is for us in currently where we're at, the Bible has never been more accessible to us. Probably like me, you, you, you have access to about every English translation on your phone through the UVersion Bible app, or maybe you have even the Blue Letter Bible, or maybe you have Bible Gateway. And I mean, there's all kinds of avenues where we can access the Bible. I don't know how many printed copies of the Bible I have in my office. Then I have my iPad who has has all the other trans. I mean, every the Bible, if we don't read the Bible. It's no one's fault, but whose? yeah, ours. And so just kind of came away from a, a greater wanting to have a greater desire to know the word of God, like these people who had limited access. And I'm I'm thankful for other people who were outwardly focused and radically generous, who went and spent 40 years. Can you imagine 40 years translating the Bible when they, when they, Uh, kind of hiked up into this village in the late 60s. Not one person was a follower of Jesus. And now many of the whole village and surrounding villages have the word of God, the knowledge of God, and a relationship with Jesus. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Sean allowing me to tag along and be a part of the Institute and teach a little bit. Uh, So, as I said, we are in Psalm 100. And I'm thankful also for uh, Pastor Steve Switzer and Pastor Nathan Parikh who spent the last two weeks uh, in the Psalm, Psalm 63 and uh, Psalm 24 and did a great job talking about worship as we look at the Psalms. I I wanna read a statement that both of them made the last two weeks. When we think about worship, it says this, God designed you to find your deepest fulfillment in a relationship with Him and in worship of Him. God designed you to find your deepest fulfillment in relationship with Him and in worship of Him. In other words, what God wants us to do as followers of Him, as created by Him, that, that we will not find fulfillment, we will not find lasting joy in any thing or any person except in our Creator and in Jesus Christ. And he, do you believe with this statement that God is worthy of our worship? That's the idea of worship, right? He is worthy, worth So I wanna invite you to uh, stand with me. Would you stand with me? We don't normally do this, but it's a short passage and you guys are already thinking about turkey, so it makes you tired anyways. So I thought I'd have you stand a little bit and uh, we're gonna read Psalm 100. So as I read, make a joyful shout, to the Lord, all you lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all. Generations. God, we come before you today and we thank you that you are a good, good father. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful and long-suffering to us. And Lord, that you're not willing that any should perish. We're thankful for people who've been faithful to pass the gospel to us. And I pray that we would be faithful to pass the gospel to the next generation. I pray in the next few minutes, Lord, that you would speak into our lives, that you would direct the message and the sermon and that our hearts would be willing to hear and to respond. It's in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So three directives in this scripture, all right? Three directives that we're gonna talk about. After we give you these three directives that are pretty simple, then we're gonna give you uh, really what drives these directives, all right? The first one is found in verse number one and really in verse number two as well. But it is simple, worship Him joyfully. When we really understand who God is, it should lead us to worship Him joyfully. That we shouldn't come to church in a bad mood, right? How, let's, let's be honest, how many of you have walked into church, I'm not saying today because I don't wanna to be you know, too honest you know, in church, how many at some point in your life you've walked to church You've been walking through these doors in a bad mood. All right. Anybody never come to church in a bad mood? Okay. One, two. All right. Very good. How many of you, it seems like, the drive to church, especially when your kids were little, or maybe worse, when your kids were teenagers, how many, that's like the most frustrating Time of the entire week. You guys experienced that before? I remember, um, now I don't understand really because I was like such a good kid growing up. Never had any, I mean, I was not strong-willed. I didn't have a temper. I didn't have a smart mouth. I mean, I was always just a really docile, humble, you know, gracious kid. But it seemed like for some reason, there was a lot of times on our drive to church that my mom would get upset. I don't even understand why. Right? But worship Him joyfully. Is God worthy of our worship? Is He worthy of us being excited about worship? I'm glad we don't, the expectation when we come to church is not to say, Hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Right? It's not supposed to be that way, is it? Worship him. The idea here is shout to the Lord is the understanding of when the king would walk or ride through the city, that the city would erupt shouting to the king. Long live the king. It's this understanding of there's excitement because the king is in our presence. We, We get a glimpse of that several times in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you remember when in Samuel, when the Ark of the Covenant, when the, which represented the power and the presence of God, when it was brought onto the battlefield in Israel, the, the scriptures tell us that there was such a loud shout among the nation of Israel because God's presence was among them that it says the earth shook. Their worship, their shout, their praise was so exciting, the earth shook the Philistines shook with fear. They asked, what has happened? What is the noise? And they said, well, the ark, the covenant of God, the, the presence, the, the, this represents the presence and the power of God has come into the camp, and they were filled with fear. When they brought, in 2 Samuel, I think it's chapter 6, when they brought the ark of the covenant back into Jerusalem, it says that the people shouted loudly, with great joy. And David, what, did, what was David's response? King David's response. Remember what King David did in the streets? He danced. I wish I could dance. I would do it right now. I can't and I won't. David did. And the city shouted and praised because of how good God was. David's wife said, Oh, look at our king dancing in public. Remember what David said? It was before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified than this because he wanted to worship joyfully. God is worthy of our worship. We get a picture in Revelation chapter 7. Verse nine says, After these things I looked and behold the great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were clothed with white robes and with palm wrenches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And again, I ask you, is God worthy of our worship? Should we be joyful in our worship? Yes. Number two. Second directive. Worship him joyfully. Number two. This is really simple. Serve him gladly. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And and again, the emotion that worship brings should always lead to action. It's not that we just come in here and worship joyfully, but the worship of God should always lead us to some action that we would serve him him and if all we do is gather and worship and sing we have missed part of the call of god in our life that we are to be led into service of him we, we serve in the church and we serve as the church again this is one of our core values right that we're going to be personally involved we're going to be hourly focused so we serve in the church and we also serve in our community or we serve in the church and we serve as the church and every sunday you hear the words it's time to go be the church we want to serve him there's there's lots of ways for you to serve in the church whether that's helping with security whether that's opening a door for someone whether that's watching the kids in the nursery whether that's a there's a team in the back room back here that are praying right now for you and for the service and for God to be honored there's there's hundreds of ways for you to serve in the church but there's thousands of ways for you to serve as the church. What does that look like in your community? What does that look like in your neighborhood? What does that look like at your school or whatever sports team you're a part of that you wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus and authentic worship really should lead to serving others. And if you are not actively serving in the church or as the church, Maybe your worship is misguided or misdirected. Because if God is worthy of everything, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, to worship Him and to give Him worth it will always lead to action. Serve Him gladly. Number three, next directive. Thank him personally. I had to add some words to this. Like I think it's not just a private thankfulness. It involves private thankfulness, but I think it's corporately and I think it's consistently, what does it say? Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, be thankful to him and bless his name. And you know, for the last, I don't know, five or six years, we have spent November with this title, this series, Psalms of the Season. and we. Uh, I I think for me, when I think of Psalms, and I always think of thankfulness. You you guys also, when you think of Psalms, you think of all the Psalms that talk about thankfulness. But the reality is there's only one Psalm that has the title of giving thanks. And guess which Psalm it is? Psalm 100, the one word teaching, a Psalm of thanksgiving. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a lot to be thankful for? Let's, let's take God out of the picture. Religion, church, faith out of the picture. Just where you live, what you have, what you're blessed. Do you have a lot to be thankful for? Like we're blessed to just live in, in a free country. We're blessed to live in a place where we can have air conditioning and heating All those things, those comforts, we have a lot to be thankful for outside of even the presence of God. But just to throw on top of that, that God is a personal God that loves you, that knows you, that created you, wow, we have a lot to be thankful for. Now, this Psalm 100 is really what, what we understand is still being sung today. It's, it's sung there in outside the temple or the tabernacle, and this is a call. So you get the picture of those who are on a pilgrimage to come to the temple or come to the tabernacle in the Old Testament days. And there was a call for them to enter into the gates with thanksgiving. As you enter the presence of God, as you enter the place of worship, as you enter the sanctuary that we're gonna be th- So there's this understanding that this is something that we do corporately together. There's just something about meeting together with the people of God of the place of God and the power of God to thank him. In fact, Jesus said, the love you have for one another as as a church, as a body of believers, people will know that you're a follower of Jesus just by your love, just by your expression of worship service and thankfulness and I don't think I have to make a case for how much you should be grateful for we are blessed I want us to think about this worship serving and thankfulness they should be driven by knowledge not feelings Cause the truth is sometimes I don't feel like coming to church. Ooh, I said it. The pastor sometimes doesn't feel like coming to church. How many of you sometimes you don't let's, let's be really honest. How many of you sometimes don't feel like coming to church? Wow. You guys are terrible. It's like almost a hundred percent, especially when it's raining, cold. How many of you just soon stay under the covers? How many of you wish you were there right now? (laughs) How many of you are sleeping? Wake them up, right? Sometimes I don't feel like worshiping. Sometimes I don't feel like serving. Sometimes I'm not very grateful. You too? Do you agree? So my, my worship, my gratitude and my service can't be dependent on how I feel. And some of us are, well we're all wired a little differently and for some of us it may be easier to serve and to be grateful and to worship even when we don't feel like it. And some of us, maybe that doesn't happen very often where we're just naturally, like for example, my dad. My dad loves being around people. It amazes me how many times we would go somewhere and visit We come back to the car and he would say, man, those people talk a lot. (laughs) Really? Every house we've been to, every conversation, it's them, right? (laughs) He, he just loves being around people. There are people that get energy from being around people. I are not one of those people. You, some of you are not those people, right? They just, people suck the life out of you. Anybody want to say amen to that? Wow, a bunch of you. So as we get these directives, the Psalmist says we should worship, serve, be thankful. What drives that? It can't be feelings, can it? Look at verse number three. These directives are based on knowledge. Psalm 100, verse three, know. That the Lord, he is God. There's an understanding here, he is God and you are not. Turn to the person next to you and say, he is God and you are not. All right, some spouses just got slapped. I saw it. Don't tell me. He is Lord. This word here, Lord, is Yahweh or Jehovah. He is God, Elohim, the Almighty One. This word Elohim is the same word we see in Genesis chapter one and verse one. In the beginning, God created. But, but listen to this. Know that he, the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His, Pasture. And the psalmist gives us three things that we need to know, and if we will understand these, we will know these things about God and about ourselves, it will aid us, it will drive us, it will fuel us into worship and service and gratitude. He is Lord. In other words, He is sovereign. He's in control. We saw that in the book of Jonah, didn't we? God told the wind to blow, then He told it to stop, and He sent a fish, and He sent a plant, and He sent a worm, and... God is in control. God is sovereign. He's Lord. This should free you up to realize it's not under your control. Some of you are control freaks, right? I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I don't want to control you. Some of you are control freaks. The, The truth is I think all of us to some degree are control freaks. It just kind of manifests itself differently. So, so here's a great thing for you to understand. God's in control and you're not. I'm not gonna ask you to tell your spouse that, that may be too going too far, right? He's Lord, He's sovereign. Number two, what do we learn in this verse number three? What do we to know? He is the Lord and He is the creator. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. And because He is our creator, again as we go back to that statement we will not find fulfillment outside of god we won't find joy outside of god and interacting with him and fulfilling the purpose that he has for us remember what he said jeremiah to jeremiah i knew you before you were in your mother's womb i have a plan for you I have a purpose that you were created on purpose for a purpose the psalmist says that you god knit you together in your mother's womb that god created you. Paul said that you are a masterpiece, a workmanship of God. He created you for a purpose, for a work that he has for you. He's Lord, he is creator. Number three, what does it say here in, in Psalm 100 verse three? We are his people and the, what is it? The sheep of his pasture. In other words, he's the shepherd. He's Lord, he's creator, He's the shepherd. Right. Hebrews 13 says Jesus is the great shepherd. First Peter five says that Jesus is the chief shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So the psalmist is saying, worship, serve, have an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because I'm the Lord and I'm the creator and I'm the good shepherd. And even when I don't feel like it, when I go back to the understanding of the Lord God almighty, who created me on purpose for a purpose? Who is my good shepherd? He just asked me to respond to his love. John 3 16, for God so he loved the world. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting. Life. Roman says that God demonstrated his love toward us, toward you, toward me that while we were even in our sins, Christ died for us and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Psalm 23 says the Lord is what? My shepherd, I shall not want. The question for us this morning is, yes, Jesus is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My question for you today is, have you made the Lord, the good shepherd, your shepherd? Is he your shepherd? The Bible says in order for him to be your shepherd is you simply place your faith in Jesus, that he died, that he was buried, that he came back to life. And if you've not done that, can I encourage you today? It is that simple. To understand that Jesus loved you so much that he died to pay the penalty of your sin. And if you will place your faith in the work of Jesus, that he hung on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, and that three days later he came back to life, you can have salvation, which means you can have forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven, a restored relationship with God, your creator. And then Jesus not only will be the good shepherd, he will be your good shepherd. And because he is our good shepherd, shouldn't that drive us? Even when we don't feel like worshiping, when we don't feel like serving, when we don't feel like being grateful, we understand greater has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus died for me. And when I allow myself, to be reminded of the gift of the cross, my feelings begin to change. He is worthy of my worship. He is worthy to serve. And I have so much to be grateful for. If I have nothing in this earth, but I have Jesus, I have everything don't I? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You've heard the story of the little kid that said the Lord is my shepherd and he's all I want. No, no, that's not the right. No, I I think that's pretty good. If Jesus is in your life, you're going to get to spend eternity in heaven. Is that worth worshiping joyfully? Is it worth serving gladly? Is it worth thanking him personally, corporately, consistently? I say, I say yes. You see, knowledge of who God is leads to affection and affection leads to action. He closes the Psalm in verse number five. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The psalmist basically closes out the psalm with the understanding of what we say every Sunday morning God is good and all the time. Do you believe that? Is he worthy of your worship? Is he worthy of your service? Is he worthy of your gratitude? Again, not based on my feelings. It's based on my understanding of who God is. You know, we started out the year with three things. We want to love you more. We want to know you more. And we want to share you more. The more I know God, the more I love him. The more I love him, the more I want to serve him. Amazing how that works, isn't it? challenge again. I was challenged this week that I would place a higher priority on knowing God because in fact, he is good. Can I pray for you just for a moment? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to know Jesus. Lord, if there's someone in here this morning that that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that they would They would just cry out to you and place their faith in you, the power of the cross and the resurrection. Lord, we thank you today for the gift of Jesus, that he is our good shepherd. Lord, this morning, we want to partake of communion just to have an opportunity, as you said, as often as you do this, do in remembrance of me, we want to remember the cross. We want to proclaim the death of Christ through this public display of gratefulness. This morning we're gonna do communion a little differently. Hopefully you already grabbed one of the communion cups. If you didn't, they're just in the foyer, feel free at any moment to just go out and get one. I wanna just give you a few instructions because we're gonna do a little differently this morning. Again, when we think of communion, this is the night Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples. He broke the bread and he blessed it. Take, eat, this is my body. Then he had the, the wine and he blessed it and he passed it around and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And we read in first Corinthians chapter number 11, that Paul, Jesus had told Paul about this night and what had taken place. Cause Paul wasn't in the room that night, but Paul writes about it and he writes to the church and he instructs us that we are to do this in remembrance of the cross. And as we do it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We understand that the the cracker, the unleavened bread is a representation of the sinless body of Christ, which was broken for us. The juice or the the cup or the wine, it represents the shed blood of Christ. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. If Jesus would not have died for us, we could not have salvation. But as Philippians says, he humbled himself and came obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So communion is simply a thank you, a remembrance of the death of Jesus. Paul gives us a warning in 1 Corinthians 11 though. He says, don't take, don't partake, don't participate, don't be involved in this in an unworthy manner. In fact, he says, if you do this in an unworthy manner, you're gonna bring judgment on yourself. And he says there in 1 Corinthians 11, this is why some of you, again, he's talking to the church at Corinth. This is why some of you have been sick. This is why some of you have even died. In other words, this is a serious part of our Christian faith. What does it mean to take an unworthy manner? It simply means that if you are not a follower of Jesus, then you shouldn't partake. It also means that if you, You are a follower of Jesus, but you're not in fellowship with Jesus. You shouldn't partake. That's not for me to judge, that's for you to judge. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Then before you partake of this, confess it. Restore the relationship between you and God. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if you'll confess, he'll forgive. I'm thankful of that. And all the times that I've messed up, when I go back to God, he always forgives. So what I I want you to do this morning is where you're seated or, in fact, I want to ask you to stand right now for a moment. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for the opportunity as we get to celebrate, we get to partake of communion. But what I want you today is I want you to personalize this. After I pray, Marty's gonna sing, and we're just gonna allow you, if, if you wanna gather at the altar with some family, maybe some people in your connect group, come come to the altar. If you wanna gather on the side of the sanctuary with your family or some friends and pray and partake in your own time, this this is your time. If you after I pray, if you wanna just sit and do it where you're at, that's fine. But I'm gonna pray and and then I'm not really gonna give you any more instructions. I want you just to, wherever you're at, wherever you wanna be in the sanctuary, if you wanna go out in the foyer with family, friends, part of your connect group, just whoever. If if you're a member and you wanna invite a guest that you see to, to join you, feel free to do so. But I'm gonna pray and then you're gonna spend the next few minutes. My suggestion is that you pray, thank God for the cross and Christ for the sacrifice and then you partake. Men, this would be a great opportunity for you to lead your family in prayer and in communion. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for grace, we thank you for mercy. We thank you for the cross and I pray just in the next few minutes, Lord, as we're scattered all over the sanctuary, That we would just entune our hearts to you. And we would just enjoy a time of private worship in a public place. Thank you for the cross.